roads, Jason. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Welcome to Primary Technology, the show where we talk about the biggest news in tech and why it matters. This week, Apple has officially announced the Apple Vision Pro availability for February 2nd, and they released a pretty cool ad. We're going to talk about that, plus the best of CES and some insane things that came out of CES as well. Plus, I have a surprise for Jason, and we have a bonus episode on the death of physical media. This episode is brought to you by Audio Hijack and Hello There, a really fun app for saving greeting cards. And as always, I'm joined today by Jason Aiton. How's it going, Jason? I love surprises so much. <laughs> I didn't tell Jason I was going to start that, but you you were excited yeah. about the ad. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start with the Back to the Future line. All right. I'm going to do it. Yep. I feel like it should be a shtick. I feel like maybe I want to start every episode with like a random movie line and just not tell I you. I like that. I mean, you do have a podcast about movies. I do have a podcast about movies. So as long as, as, long as Nate is okay with you bringing part of that shtick here, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm <laughs> oh, good. Sorry. I love references. There'll be, there'll be crossovers. We have some huge news this week. We have to get to it. The Vision Pro, obviously, we're going to talk about right up front and then some best of CES and not worst of, but insane CES. But I do want to give some five-star shout-outs. I want to thank everyone for their support in the first week of the launch of this show. Primary Technology got the top technology shows in Apple Podcast right after we launched. And so that's thanks to you all. It's awesome. Really appreciate it. Lots of positive feedback on social media. Keep it coming. Obviously, more five-star reviews. We did get one one-star review. I saw Jason. that. I don't know if that was you secretly. It was not me, but I was really hoping that they'd leave some review hate reviews because i want to know what the problem is i know i was i wanted to read a, i wanted to read the one star review maybe it was william no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i know i did have a relative one time that thought in order to leave a review they had to like tap each star individually to like fill it out don't do that because that'll <laughs> give us a one star review just jump right to the fifth star go right there but some five-star review shout-outs. Nicholas Bridal, Marcus96, Rousey1973, C. Barnes1364. I don't know if that's his birth year. I don't know how he's still around. Andrew Clare, it's me, Hippie John, P. Kingman, and Honda Maker. Thank you for those five-star reviews. If you would take a second, you can give us a five-star rating and review. Write your name, tell us where you're listening or watching from. We'd love to give you a shout-out on the show as well. Vision Pro, Jason. It's here. Apple. Did it up? Did it upstage CES at least for the day? Right, it upstage CES when they released that, sent out that press release. It probably consumed more oxygen than any individual thing at CES. That's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. So this was on Monday. Apple sent out their press release announcing the availability of Apple Vision Pro. So you'll be able to pre-order it Friday, January nineteenth, which is as you listen to this episode. If you listen when it launches, is next Friday. And just so you know, we're going to delay next week's episode a day. We're going to record on Friday after the pre-orders and release the episode on Friday because I'll be sharing my pre-order experience, which we'll get to our personal, <laughs> what we're going to do for Vision Pro personally. But Friday, February 2nd is the official launch day. And you can also schedule demos in store if you would like to try out the Apple Vision Pro in Apple stores on launch day. Not a ton of details uh, throughout, but in the fine print at the very, very bottom, let me go there. You can also watch the show at youtube.com slash at primary tech show, but it's obviously $3,500, which Apple had said before for 256 gigs of storage. My first question to you is Jason, 
Do we think there's been different opinions on social media? Do we think that Vision Pro is going to have higher storage tiers or is it 256 or bust? First of all, it doesn't make sense to say starting. So so I've heard some people right. say like, well, that's because you have to pay extra if you need the inserts or whatever. But right. the sentence says available starting at 34.99 with 256 gigs of storage. I don't feel like you would have put those two things in the same sentence, starting with, right? Like this is the the editor sure. nerd in me thinking like they wouldn't you wouldn't phrase this <laughs> and apple is very very careful about the way that they word things and so it, it feels to me as though sure. there's probably going to be a higher tier of storage available I, you know that's just the i don't have any information about that it is weird that they don't sure. say anything more about that this is literally just saying the product will be available to order on this date. Here's the minimum amount of information we feel like we have to give you. So I don't know. It'll be real interesting to see the configurator. Mark Gurman from Bloomberg said he thinks there will only be a 256 gig tier. And if you look at something like the Apple TV, where you can download apps, some of those apps are games, some of those games are large, maybe this makes sense, which the Apple TV is only 128. So this is double that. But you're also going to be able to capture a spatial video on the Vision Pro headset itself. And so it seems like if you're going to be capturing a lot of spatial video, that it would be, we like, surely it'll upload to iCloud Photo Library, which there was this one post, uh, I wish I could found it, have found it, but it was showing someone with the Vision Pro headset on and a like AR window that says your iCloud storage is full. <laughs> like, it'll be wonderful to experience that for the first time right there in VR. But, you know, if you're capturing a lot of spatial video, I imagine storage is going to be a premium. So who knows? But like you said, the other argument was the starting at price is because of the inserts, which are $100.99 for readers. And then if you're getting Zeiss optical prescription inserts, it's $149. You've actually tried Vision Pro. And so this is the question I had was, will you be able to remove or like, you know, put and remove these inserts? So if you have a prescription, but you would like, I don't know, your kids to try it and they don't need the prescription, can you take it out? To which you said, yes, they're magnetic. And I actually went back and watched the event. It shows like the little magnetic inserts attaching uh, onto the lenses. My question is these, these, when you put on Vision Pro, the lenses are very close to your eyeball. If you are nearsighted, like myself, like if I take off my glasses and hold my hand like six inches from my face, it's, it's clear. Like I don't need glasses for that. Would I need inserts for Vision Pro, do you think? I don't have a okay. clue. <laughs> I, you know, I know that the ATP guys have talked about this. They talked about it quite a bit, uh, you know, back in the summer because there was, they're having this conversation about like, what does it mean? Like, what is the focal length? Is the focal length what your eye thinks it's looking at? So if you think you're looking at something at the wall, is that what you have to focus on? Or, I don't really know the answer to that, but I, my guess is, this is just my blanket answer. If you wear a prescription, you're going to want to give that prescription to Apple and get the inserts that match that prescription. I, I don't think they would be doing it this way mm. if it, if it, because the thing is like two and a half inches from your face, like from your eyeballs, right? I mean, maybe even less than that. But I do think that it's probably, right. my guess is that yes, you'll need to, but I'm not an optometrist or any, like I wear glasses. That's the extent <laughs> of my knowledge about the topic. And, and what they do is they actually sure. take your, so if you go in, well, this is what they did during the demo. I think I can say this. You, if you have a prescription, you can just give that to them. Or you can take your glasses and they put it in this machine that reads your prescription from your glasses. It measures whatever the curvature of the yes. thing. So my guess is that if you're wearing glasses for something, they're just going to match that, whatever it is. So Okay. Well, I, I'm curious. I mean, I'm going to order... Well, we'll talk about our orders in a second, but I'm curious about that. 
Also in the box, it talks about it's coming with this uh, light seal, which is this cushion here. It's gonna come with two of those. And it's also gonna have two straps. This is the solo one that will go around the back of your head, but nothing over it. And a second style strap, this is the dual loop band, which the top band looks kind of like a trail loop for an Apple Watch, and the rear band, uh, probably more stability. Now it says it's gonna come with two light leak seals or light seals. Do you remember from your demo, is it like, are there different shapes and different kinds of light seals or is it just two of the same one, do you think? I don't know if you would get two different ones. That's a good question. I do know that they fit the light seal to your to the shape and size of your face, basically. Obviously, there is only a set number mm. of options for that. But, you know, if you have a small nose or if you have a smaller head, like they do a scan yeah. and part of that is figuring out which light seal would fit you. I don't know. It, it'd be interesting if you could say, please give me two different sized light seals because that would make it more... A, you know, more flexible and more usable by multiple people, you and your spouse or you and your kid. So I don't know if that's what they're saying or if they're just right. trying to give you two um, light seal cushions. Now, the the alternative is it does, it does say it only gives you one light seal, but two cushions. So maybe it's because you're going to want to wash those, right? Like maybe the cushions right. are going to get gross and yeah. you're going to want to wash it and put the other one. Because if you've ever used a pair of AirPods Max, think about how beautiful the white ones are after a while. That's what you're going to have. <laughs> I did not get the white ones. I got the black one. I regret not getting the blue AirPods Max to this day, but mm. you have the black ones. I I'm interested. Now, you were excited because Apple actually released an ad alongside the press release, and you wrote an article about it. Uh, Jason, tell me, what's uh, what do you like about this ad? Well, I love this ad because it's very similar to the original iPhone ad, right? Which was just a whole bunch of people answering phones. <laughs> That's the entire original iPhone ad was just all different types of phones, but they were all from movies, right? They were just scenes from movies with people answering the phone. And this ad for the Vision Pro is just a bunch of movie characters putting things on their face, yes. right? But they are iconic and every single one of them is recognizable, right? You know, there's Luke Skywalker and Snoopy and SpongeBob and Iron Man and all, and Doc yeah. Brown. And I just love that there is this, Apple's not going to convince some people that they should use this computer unless they can get people used to the idea that it's cool to put something on your face. And so, I mean, you know, right. Luke's, no one makes fun of Iron Man for wearing a mask, right? No one <laughs> makes fun of Luke Skywalker because he has something on his face or Snoopy, like getting ready to go off and fight the Red sure. Baron, right? In a, in a, in sure. a dog fight. So I think that the, what they decided to do, the story that they decided to tell is to just lean all the way into the fact that this is a computer you wear on your face, but that's fine because mm -hmm. look at all the cool things you can do. You can time travel with cool. something on your face, right? You can, you, <laughs> you could fly, you, can, you could fight Thanos. Yes, you can, you can destroy, you know, World War II villains like Snoopy. Like you can do all these things. Yeah, and so exactly. I, I think that I love the ad. I think it did exactly what it needed to. If they would have tried to show off like the technology or the yeah, things weird. you can do with it, forget it. It would have just been a waste. Where uh, And Apple does this with their ads. The same thing was true with the iPod ads, right? It was literally just silhouettes, black, black silhouettes against color dancing around with the little white you know, iPod and the earbuds. And so right. I think that, that they're trying to tell a story that this thing is going to be cool. I want to know how much Apple paid in licensing to license all those clips of movies to play on a YouTube and commercial. Most of them are Disney, honestly, I'm, now. Yeah, I was going to say, if you notice, quite a few of them are Disney. And then Snoopy, they, they also, you know, they have the Snoop Charlie Brown Christmas and a lot of the Snoopy stuff. The Apple Watch face has the Snoopy face now. Right. So like they do have some of these relationships yeah, already. And so I'm sure that, that that had something to do with what they ended up 
with. That's true. The, I, and I've forgotten the original iPhone ad, so it's it's here in your article. We'll link this and everything we talk about in the show notes. But it's a bunch of people saying hello, picking up the phone, like black and white movies. You got all the way up to like Harrison Ford saying hello. And yeah, it's, there they go. Back to the Future. Again, Back to the Future made it in both yep. the original iPhone ad and the uh, Vision Pro ad. So They did. You know, and <laughs> what's ironic to me about the, oh, there's Pulp Fiction in there maybe. What's ironic to me yeah, about this. Incredibles. Yep, the thing that makes me laugh about this is, I don't know anybody who uses their iPhone to answer the phone anymore. <laughs> right. I hate, that is true. I hate it when people call me on my phone, on the iPhone. I don't, I would, I just <laughs> let it go straight to voicemail and then I never listen to it. Unless you are my wife or you are one of my children. Right. And my children, exactly. if my children call me, it's because something is burning because they don't, they don't ever call me. It's either an accident yeah, exactly. or someone has died. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Let's so let's say this, uh, this is probably a personal tech for the future. Do you even have the phone app on your dock or on your main home screen? I do not have it on my main home screen at all. It's, it's on my second screen. Either. And the only reason it's on my second screen is I do sometimes have to reach my kids quickly. And it's like, you can, so the, sure. my def, what I had been doing is you just go into the messages app, tap on the contact and click call, right? Because you have all those people, like it's just as quick. Right. But then sometimes I have to call people who I don't text with. And so I did need to be able to get to exactly. it, but it is not on my home screen, my first page anymore. Yeah, neither mine nor my doc. So pre-orders are week from today. Our next episode, we will actually give our our live uh, reactions and reviews of how that pre-order process went. I will be pre-ordering one, uh, whether or not I have another one in my possession to review. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna order one. Jason, are you gonna pre-order one? I so maybe I'll pre maybe I'll do the Stephen macbook pro pre-order and i will just pre-order it a bunch of times and just cancel them and then just, just so i can go through the pre-order process to see like what happens if i pre-order at the the moment it launches how long does that take and did it crash right. then cancel it and then what happens if you try to pre-order it 12 hours later maybe i'll just do that and then i'll just show up at an apple yeah. store one day and just buy one <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm curious like i want to do the in-store experience i think it would make a good video a good vlog but i'm also curious how they actually walk you through that setup process in store but also really just like the idea of just getting it shipped to my house so i'm curious how that's going to go and also you know it seems like a device this expensive the first run that maybe the stock wouldn't uh, run out or whatever but it seems like there's going to be very limited availability maybe even less than a million units maybe around 500,000 units i think i saw that number floating around so even if there's not a ton of people buying it, there's enough, there's the limited supply. And so it could go out of stock very quickly. So yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there on uh, 8, 8.01 AM. What's your strategy when you have to pre-order something? I usually have like my, my phone constantly quitting and opening the Apple store app. I have Safari that I'll refresh. And then I usually have my iPad too, just for good measure. Well, what's your strategy? When it's like a phone, I will usually go in and do the pre-pre-order thing, which a lot of people still, I don't think, know about, but I usually will do that. Yes. So everything is configured, and then you just have to wait for the app to open and like have the store available, and then you can just finish your process. That's like the most efficient right. way, I think, to do it, although it doesn't matter because you know the app and the online store don't always come up, come up at the same time. And so sometimes you're sitting there waiting on right, the app exactly. and then you refresh a browser and you're like, oh, but this is available. I better just go. And then you end up starting your whole process over and then you come back and you're like, oh, I could have just clicked on that. Terrible. So yeah. I, my, my strategy is it's mostly chaos and you just say a prayer, hope for the best. You just start tapping things and eventually you get something in your, <laughs> your shopping cart and you're like, that's not what I want, but it's available and it'll come on launch day and you just buy it. And you just, you just, right, exactly. you just hope for the best. And 
it, but I will, the, the funny thing is that, so where we live, which is not an enormous metropolitan area, but we do have an Apple store. I've never found that you couldn't just walk in on launch day and just buy whatever the thing is that you want at that. Cause it's not that it, really? it's, we're just not that big of a metro area. Now they don't get as many I of things. So depending on the configuration that you want, it might be a little bit more complicated. I don't know how that will work for the vision pro. It does say, I think that every store will be getting them. And so I, I would imagine that if I if I wanted to walk into the, our local Apple store, I wouldn't have too much trouble getting one pretty close to the launch day. Uh, you know, but I don't know that that means that they'll right. have them in stock all the time, right? Like you may have to just wait. You may be able to come in and place right. the order, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll see you in six months." So we'll see. You know, that ad got me a little hype. I'm not gonna lie. You know, I'm getting excited for it because I've not tried it yet. So this- you want to put something on your face? You really want to put something on your face? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about like. Man, making videos with this thing, it's going to be kind of like a setup process because, you know, I'm going to want to plug it into power. You don't want to be on battery, you know, fit it on your head. Like, do I need to, I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious how all that's going to work. But at least for you, having actually tried it, is there an app that maybe you already used or that you often use now or just some app that you're looking forward to using on Vision Pro specifically? I think for me, it's Fantastical. I think that's going to be hot in vr uh no i'm excited the fantastical guys are great i love their app uh it's amazing but i don't know what do you think what what apps are you excited to use on this thing? well i want to say something about fantastical which is only that when apple started to talk about the developer sessions they were like the featured developer like there's a picture of them like yeah sitting down to do their little thing and i'm like it's a calendar app right you just want to sell a $3,500 headset great. and the thing that you came up with is like we have a developer who's making a calendar for VR I just think like that's very interesting to me that the sort of a juxtaposition there it's like but I have four devices right now that run fantastic how very well and and only one of them was $3,500 right. <laughs> right the Mac Pro MacBook Pro well it's interesting because even in their press release like productivity is like the main, yep. like it talks about the interface or whatever, and then extraordinary experiences. And it talks about the apps for productivity and Fantastical is the first one in the list, then Freeform, an Apple first, you know, party app, Jigspace, I'm not even familiar with. And then Microsoft, Slack, and, you know, just then talks about like other things, entertainment and all that kind of stuff. So like Fantastical is like the number one productivity app, seemingly that Apple is pushing on Vision Pro. Well, I, and here's the thing. I don't like it when people use the word literally for something they don't mean literally, I will literally never use Slack in an Apple Vision Pro. There is no scenario that you could, with a gun to my head, you could not make me use Slack. I, Slack is a very you? useful tool. I don't want that on my head. Yeah, Slack is a very useful tool, but I try as hard as I can to get away from Slack. I do not want it in my face. Yeah. So I will never load it on there. I will never do any of that. So I do actually think you, I didn't think about this until you just were going through that list, but Freeform is an app that could be really interesting in what they, they like to really talk about it as spatial computing, not VR. But I, I do imagine like yeah. that would be a pretty immersive thing if you're trying to put together either a storyboard or a look board or some kind of like collaborative piece where you're trying to work on things together. I do actually think that that would be pretty interesting. I will say, having used it once, the app I'm most looking forward to using, and it's interesting, is actually FaceTime, right? The, we, when we mm. did the demos, we had an opportunity to do that. And the, I, it's not as immersive as something like the Horizons, <clears throat> like the workrooms, the thing that Meta has, where you are an avatar character that can move around in a, in a shared space. But I do actually think that having that degree of sort of you know, collaboration and interactivity in a, in a conversation like that is, I would much rather do that than a zoom call. I 
I hate Zoom calls. I hate Slack. If you've noticed, I pretty much just hate software that involves other people. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> but I do think sure. that if I had to have a conversation with someone, a FaceTime call with this is one of the applications where I'm like, this actually makes sense. This I, I understand why I'm putting this on my head. I understand the experience. I, I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching movies in this thing, which might seem like a simple use case. But for me, like what 55 inch TVs around the house. And, you know, I do have nice like Sono systems or whatever, but ironically, when I actually sit down to watch something that I want to watch, or even me and my spouse, which will be complicated with vision pro, like the kids are in bed. And so I can't really watch something loudly because it's going to wake everybody up. Right. I'm curious. Like I'm actually looking forward to experiencing something just in the headset AirPods pro. I literally got the USB C version of AirPods pro earlier this week, just so I could say I'm getting the lossless highest quality audio with Vision Pro. No, you can't just buy the USB-C case or your AirPods Pro 2 because there's there's something different in these AirPods Pro 2 with USB-C that give it lossless compatibility. There's no data on, like there's no footnote on an Apple website saying like, yeah, it's got an H2.2 chip or whatever. Uh, but these are supposedly what you need for lossless. So I got, I got these. I don't know what's different. I have a, I have them too. So right, uh, my my camera doesn't focus like yours. It's not. Okay. But I don't understand. There's nothing different about them except for it's USB C. Like there's no difference. I don't. They, I don't care what they say. I don't know why. I think they've just like. I, I have no idea. And then the question will be like, could you just buy the USB-C case and be like, I got USB-C airports because they sell that now, know. right? The charging case, you can buy the USB-C version. If I just stick my old AirPods in there, will that work? There's a, of all the things, this is like, like zero information from Apple. It was just like, these have lossless with Apple Vision Pro. That's all you get. That's it. And to be clear, the Vision Pro does have speakers built into the band as well. So you don't have to use it. Uh, AirPods, you know, with the Vision Pro, but I'm sure these AirPods Pro 2 are going to sound way better than the, the built-in speakers. Although, I mean, you heard them. How were the built-in speakers? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were like the bone conducting or whatever. How, I don't remember how they described them, but they, I mean, they, right. for what, like the most obvious example would be when they had the dinosaur experience, right? It was it was intense. Right. Like you could hear now. I don't know how much of that bleeds out, which is probably a good reason for using AirPods Pro. If you're in a situation where you don't want to disturb other people or you just don't want them to hear what you're doing. So I, I do think there will be an application right. for both, but I would not say that the built in speaker capabilities are going to be inadequate from what most people are going to do. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm excited. So next episode, you will hear what and how and if we pre-ordered the Apple Vision Pro. Let us know on social media. You can contact Jason and I or, you know, leave us a five-star review and tell us, are you pre-ordering Vision Pro or what you're excited? Oh, and the other app I forgot to say, I'm excited to try editing a video in Vision Pro because you'll be able to connect Vision Pro to your Mac and, you know, have Windows that, you know, your Mac is basically running in VR. And in Final Cut, I have a studio display. It's a great display. Love it. But there are some times where I want to zoom into a timeline and zoom out and look at things. And I'm wondering, can I have like a 20 foot window in VR of Final Cut Pro? And will it lessen the amount that I have to zoom in and out of the timeline? Will I be able to see the audio detail waveforms more granularly in this huge window so I don't have to like keep zooming in, zooming out, zooming in? So that is the other thing I'm curious to try and, and podcast editing too, but can't use Apple Pencil with Vision Pro. So probably won't be doing podcast editing but you know i'm excited i feel like there's a jurassic park reference there just because you can doesn't mean you should oh that's good oh that's maybe that'll be the next episode of start a jurassic park <laughs> okay. reference that's pretty good let's talk about ces ces is going on this week spoiler you know we talked last week are we gonna go are we not gonna go i texted you i think sunday afternoon 
And you were like, nah. I mean, my flight had already <laughs> left without me on it by that point. So no, I wasn't going. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. If you were, if you had said, listen, Sunday night, if you had said, I'm on my way there, I would have gone. I think I would have gone. I would have asked to have crashed in whatever hotel you were going to be in. Because there were, there was just a lot of people I wanted to meet there mm-hmm. at CES. There's a lot of YouTube creators and podcasters and stuff. But when it comes to actually like the exciting tech of CES, watching it from a distance, it's like, there's a few things that really matter that really like are going to apply to people's everyday tech use. Then there's like a ton of insane stuff that really has nothing to do with people. And so, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of separate this out. We're going to do like a top five CES stuff that actually matters. I think is really interesting. And then we'll talk about some insane tech and the rabbit R1, which is just, I think just another interesting gadget, but yep. anyway, I don't know. Do you want to go back and forth on our top five? You want to go, how do you want to do Why this? Why don't you go through yours? Because I think one of ours overlaps, so I'm going to have to come up with something else here, and then I'll go through mine. <laughs> well, I'll ask, okay, I'll ask your thoughts after this first sure. one, but this first uh, product is actually the, the Belkin MagSafe tracking dock. It's an auto tracking stand that you can, it uses a API or a, um, I don't know what you call it. It uses this iOS 17. Dock kit. Isn't that the, that's the. Yeah, it yeah. uses dock kit, where basically you pair your iPhone with this Belkin dock. And once it's paired, the iPhone will track you, face track you, either with the front-facing camera or the rear-facing camera. And what's powerful is this dock kit can be built into third-party applications. And there was even a session on it at WWDC. This is uh, the session, actually, from this past June. And once you pair it, then you can just, it will follow you. And this will work in apps like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google Meet. If Riverside adds it to their app, it'll it'll work with that. So you don't need a third-party app. There's no Belkin app or anything. It will just track your face with the built-in dock kit. Now, in this uh, example, this if you're watching, this is the WWDC session. I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can actually watch the whole video where it talks about it. it does a really good job like tracking him. I actually got this in a demo, uh, like like a WebEx uh, video call before CES and it looked really cool. I, during the demo, I commented like, hey, this looks like like a center stage is really, you know, being hyperactive, you know, because it had that kind of feeling at first, that center stage where it's trying to follow you. Maybe it's not doing the best job, but this thing, I mean, it looks promising. I think the, the most powerful part is this can be plugged into any app and just track you. Also, this dock can be battery powered. So you get five hours of battery just built in so you don't need to like have it plugged in or anything. And obviously for solo creators and maybe even video podcasters or whatever, like this will be, I think a really powerful tool to track you. So I think this is exciting. This is going to be available soon. You can't buy it just yet, but it should be coming in the next couple of weeks. It's $180, but yeah, it looks cool. what do you think about this? Well, I will say on the last part, you can't buy. That's true of most of the things that you might see at CES that when you go to the website, it's like email me when in stock. That's a pretty common thing because it's pretty early days for a lot of this stuff. True. Their CES's schedule doesn't always align with people's production schedules. I want to ask the question that I feel like William would ask right now. Okay. Which is okay. 
If you had center stage on and you were using this, do they fight each other? And so the camera just keeps going back and forth because the camera moves, but then center stage tries to get you into the center of the picture. Hopefully Apple has figured out, you know, that I'm sure they have, like they wouldn't have released a technology, but that just feels like the weirdest possible outcome here that you have a device that's moving to keep you in the middle and you have software that's moving to keep you in the middle (laughs) and they just keep going back and forth and and everyone gets motion sick. Ultimate parallax effect. Um, You know, I put this on my list as well because I do think that this is you know it's it seems like based on their marketing that they're clearly targeting this towards creators you know and then they also list that it'll work with facetime and other popular video conferencing apps and so maybe if you're doing a webinar where you actually want to get up and move around a room i could totally see that that would be a useful thing to to have it does because there's a big difference between a webinar where someone can stand up and point at things and move around than a webinar where someone is doing what we're doing, which is sitting at a computer screen. So I think that this right. this could be a really interesting device. The reason I put it on my list is actually just oftentimes when you see something like this, this is the first real example of this product in the wild. And it's kind of expensive, but I can totally see that in the future we'll, we might see th- other devices from other companies, not just Belkin that, that are a little bit less expensive because really at $180, this is for content creators and someone who is a professional, like educator online, that type of thing. But I actually think this is a cool example of something. I mean, it, it, it wirelessly charges, it's made for MagSafe, which means that this is like Apple, it's not approved, but like it isn't just like a knockoff type thing. Yeah. It has the NFC tap. So I imagine right. if you have this at your, at your the standby should work, right? Because it, it, it'll, it'll remember that type of right. thing stuff. So I think it's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to, I, I would like to try this. So if Belkin wants to send me one, I would absolutely review this product. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yes. I'm, I'm very curious. So I'll also do my other four are, are much faster, but the, the next one is Chi 2, which I talked about Chi 2 in several videos previously. And now Qi 2 is like officially out there, not just in charging stands, which there were a few before CES, but now we have some battery packs. And now this is actually a product from CES that you could buy right now, which is the Anchor MagGo Power Bank. This is a 10,000 milliamp hour battery pack. It's got a little screen on the side, so you can actually see the, the charge of the battery right there, which is really nice. And it is Qi 2. And just to quickly recap, Qi 2 is based on MagSafe. Apple actually shared the MagSafe spec with the power consortium that developed Qi 2. So Qi 2 is basically like MagSafe where you get 15 watts of charging, a faster charging than normal Qi charging, like any battery pack previously aside from Apple. So if you had a Anchor or Mophie or whatever before now, it would charge really slow, probably around five watts, and it would get really hot. Everyone that I tested got really hot. These using Qi 2 should charge faster. Again, 15 watts. There should be less heat because it's a more, um, just a better connection with the phone. There's less uh, heat dissipation. And Qi 2 has some communication features with the phone, which I'm hoping will allow things like being in the battery widget, maybe, or having like, as in a standby mode in iOS 17, how you can have different standby screens depending on which stand you put it on. There's a little like NFC communication between the stand and the phone that allows for that. I'm hoping this Qi 2 allows for some of those things too. I immediately bought one because I've been wanting to test these. (laughs) Uh, Belkin is also coming out with some and Mophie, but those aren't coming until March. So this Anchor one is the one you can get right now. I bought it, should have it, I think by next week was the date uh, because it's also on Amazon. But uh, it is $90, you know, pretty expensive. The Apple MagSafe battery pack was $100 and everybody freaked out about that. 
but this is a little big, bigger capacity at 10,000 and it's Qi 2. So I'm excited for Qi 2. And, you know, I, I like battery packs. I like them better than battery cases. <laughs> were you a battery case or you like battery pack? I mean, I did. Ha I did like the, the battery case that Apple used to sell the actual Apple version. Um, it's my main reason that I liked it was because it had the shutter button. That, that to me was the killer feature oh, of that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, case yeah. is that it had the integrated shutter shutter button. Now I do like sure. the battery. Although I think I heard that the juice pack is coming back. The Mophie, like the one that used to slide together. Mophie is making the case. Yeah. So that yes. I, I did yeah. like that. I had a lot of affection for that one. I currently use a, an anchor like battery, but it slides into a stand, yeah. right? This is my favorite to go battery pack. I do like the Apple one, but this one is... I really like this one partially. The main reason is because you can push a little thing on the side and it tells you how much charge you have left. This seems like the next generation of it only that thing's chunky, yeah. right? Like that is a chunky boy that you're going to stick on the back of your, on the back of your phone. So I feel like for me, it would be something that would be great to throw in a backpack when I'm traveling. I don't think I would use this on a regular basis just because right. it, it makes your phone, it seems like a lot less pocketable. Yeah. Now Belkin is going to have three different sizes of their Qi 2 battery pack. And one of them is going to be a 5,000 milliamp hour, which is going to be much thinner. And so I think that one would be probably a little better for portability big sizes you know if you're going to be at a conference like ces yeah. you might want you might want the you want the big guy yep all right i said i was going to be fast so let me let me go fast again the other uh, the other my other three picks for ces is wi-fi 7 the wi-fi alliance has started certifying wi-fi 7 devices and so it's official now and my favorite access points because this is what powers my network unify actually already has a wi-fi 7 access point for sale right now so if you have a unify system $190. You can get the Wi-Fi 7 access points, the U7 Pro. So tempted to get this. Uh, I would need to get two though. And so I'm going to wait just a little bit. And yes, before everyone writes me, no Apple device has Wi-Fi 7 yet, <laughs> but I will say the iPhone 15s and the iPad Pros with M2 and latest MacBook Pros, they do have Wi-Fi 6E. And Wi-Fi 6E was the first Wi-Fi standard that introduced the six gigahertz spectrum, which allows for some of these faster speeds. And so if you have an older Wi-Fi system, getting Wi-Fi 7 now will mean if you have some of those newer Apple devices, you can still take advantage of that six gigahertz faster speed, and then you're future-proofed for whatever future Apple devices come out. Maybe we'll see Wi-Fi 7 Apple devices by the end of this year, early next year, but Wi-Fi 7, it's here. It's fast. I know you wanted to go fast, no pun intended, through this section, but I have to stop for just a second. And here's the only reason why. I do think it's important for people to know, as, as Stephen talks about this, that Stephen has an addiction to high speed high speeds for his internet, right? He really does. I mean, there's a whole saga <laughs> involved here with like, yes. you know, he made his kids move out of the house so he could rewire everything so he could get faster speeds in his it's fiber fine. company, yeah. right? It's, I just want to be clear that like, That's right. why the, That's right. anyone who's using cable internet this is going to be meaningless <laughs> anyone who's using fiber internet you're future proofing you're future proofing you are future proofing you're for 10 years from now and you're future proofing so yeah. far down the road that most people won't be living in the same house at the time so they can deal with this now i'm not saying that it's not real wi-fi 7 is amazing yeah. but from i just wanted to say for most people you didn't have to listen to that and be like i have to immediately go and r run out and and upgrade all of my internet because it, like you said, there aren't any devices That's that true. can take advantage of it. There are very few devices. For most people, the limiting speed on your internet 
if it's not your cable company, right? It's probably the CDN that you're being served, whatever it is you're looking at online. So for things like moving Mm -hmm. files, back, like for people who do things like us, where we create content and we share that in the world, being able to move things back and forth between devices, like your airdrop will be faster, right? Like if you have faster, you know, capabilities, you know, or moving things that way. I do just want to make sure that people understand that like, yes, this is a future proof thing. And it is a great it's great that they continue to advance that and probably Wi-Fi seven will have more meaningful impact on normal people's lives than say 5g or 6g or 10g or whatever the, whatever the wireless carriers are talking about. But I just, I, you don't have to go out and replace all your routers yet. Please don't do that. Thank thank you for being the voice of reason to my Wi-Fi and internet speed insanity. I did, I did upgrade to like two gig internet speeds. And then I did run into like, how do I even get this to, how can I even take advantage of this? And it led me down an entire road. So fair enough. It is not, you know, it's specifically useful for everybody, but uh, I'm excited. But it's still amazing. (laughs) I agree. Still, it's amazing. It's amazing tech. Our last two things is just, there's a lot of smart home stuff. There's two more home key locks that are going to be on the market. The Utec Ultralock Bolt is going to be a new home key lock with fingerprint sensor and pin pad. So that's exciting. And TP-Link has made a new Topo. That's like their, their smart home brand. They have a new lock coming that's not only home key, which is where you hold your Apple Watch or iPhone up to the lock and it just unlocks with NFC. This is going to have a camera also built into the lock, which is pretty wild. Also, Acara had a bunch of announcements like a new M3 hub that has thread, matter, power over Ethernet. You can have redundancy if you have multiple M3 hubs, like really cool smartphone tech. That's my number four. And number five, I actually don't have a picture or article with it because I only saw it for a split second in a video and it was an Onkyo theater receiver, a home theater receiver. It looked amazing. It was like 8K, Dolby Atmos, all the things, but it was an Onkyo receiver with Sonos built in. It seemed like there was a Sonos thing. And and the guy was saying in the video, you'll be able to use the Sonos app to control this receiver that has Sonos built in. Maybe it was a fever dream. I don't, I could not find it. I've Googled everywhere. I did all the searches for Onkyo, Sonos filter in the last week. I cannot find this again. It was in some creator's video. And so listeners out there, primary technology army, which is just a side note. I've been really struggling to figure out what to wear on this podcast because half my wardrobe is podcast t-shirts and they're all other podcasts. And so now like I'm in this conundrum. And so I'm wearing our podcast host right now, transistor.fm. But now I also kind of want merch for our own podcast. So if anybody out there wants to make merch for primary technology, submit ideas. Uh, We'd love to hear them. And then I can actually wear the show on the show. But anyway, Steven would like a uniform is what he's saying. I would like a uniform that I could just wear on the show. I, I want to know what this Ankyo receiver is. So if someone can find any information on this or if anyone was at CES that actually saw it in person, uh, I would love to hear about it because I like home theater too. That's another obsession of mine. Jason, I want to hear your top five, but before we do, you would, we would like to thank our wonderful sponsor for today's episode is once again, Audio Hijack. And I'm just going to say it right up here at the front. We actually made a little faux pas on the deal. Typically, they give 20% off, but a typo in an email has resulted in you being able to get $20 off Audio Hijack, which is a bigger discount than normal, and they have honored it. Thank you, Paul. And so you can get Audio Hijack the cheapest ever from anywhere else because of a typo, but right here in Primary Technology, you can get Audio Hijack $20 off. And let me just tell you, Jason and I are using Audio Hijack right now the best way to record anything on your Mac. If you make podcasts, if you record voiceovers, if you want to capture audio from an application, 
I do this a lot, like Jason said, with my movies podcast. Sometimes I'll want to record the audio from a movie, and I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not. But anyway, I can record it directly in Audio Hijack because it can capture audio from an application. They also now have a transcription block. You build it right here if you're watching on YouTube. You can actually build little sessions, and you can record either to a file. There's a new transcription block that you can transcribe whatever audio is being recorded. You can have multiple inputs. If you've ever wondered how you can record two USB mics connected to the same computer, if you try that in GarageBand, you can't do it because it only lets you choose one USB input. Well, Audio Hijack lets you do it. I do it all the time when I have to do mic comparisons. I'll connect like four USB mics to a Mac, and Audio Hijack lets me record each USB mic to a separate audio file. No problem. It's great for podcasting. You can even live stream audio now. You can bump, bump up the volume. They have actually controls for that as well as EQ and compressors. Audio Hijack is simply the best. Cannot recommend enough. I also use with Loopback for some things to create virtual audio devices and a ton more. So I don't have the actual call to action. Would you like to say anything nice about Audio Hijack where I find out what to say about it? Yeah, sure. So I, think, <laughs> I mean, let me make something up really quick. No, what I will just say my favorite thing about Audio Hijack is that I use it about four times a week, but those four reasons that I use it are completely different. And it lets you create different types of sessions based on the thing that you're doing. So you can just set one up that's like, I'm using Zoom and I want to use Audio Hijack and you can have all that set up. You don't have to change any settings then when you go to record with Riverside because I have a completely separate one already created. I really like the fact that I can just open it up. I can click what, what is it I'm doing? And I've already got all the presets. I've got the whole thing built. I can just click on it and it does what I need it to do without having to tinker with it when you're trying. Because normally if you're opening Audio Hijack because you're about to record a meeting or a podcast or whatever it is you might be doing, the mm -hmm. last thing you want to do is have to tr like adjust settings. And Audio Hijack has a lot of settings. That's one of the features. Like that's the benefit of it that you can control almost anything. But I really like the fact that you can right. just kind of go through and you can create I, it calls them sessions in advance, move sessions, the blocks yeah. around based on what it is you're going to do. And then you just run it. You don't have to think about it. It's just good to go. Exactly. So go to macaudiocom slash primary tech. The link is in the show notes. You can click it there. And through the end of January, you get this special deal, even more special because of a typo. Remember $20 off audio hijack or any of their bundles, like get it with loopback for even more powerful audio control. Use the coupon code primary tech and they'll let you, and that'll let them know you heard about them from us. MacAudio.com slash primary tech coupon code primary tech, all one word. Our thanks to Audio Hijack for sponsoring this episode. Now you have some some top CES picks here. And this is great because I'm actually not, I didn't even miss it. I missed it. Right. I missed it. So tell me, what are your top picks from CES? Okay, so I'm only going to give you two. I moved one of them because I realized it was actually insane. So we'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, the, okay, so okay. I'm going to. Well, I actually had three other ones, but one of them was the same doc that we've already talked about. Right. The first one is the LG Cinebeam Cube, which is a 4K projector that'll project up to 120 inches. Now it's pretty small. It's only three oh. three point two pounds, which means it's not you know, there's going to be some limitations. One of them is that it's only 500 lumens output, which means you're not going to be able to, sh you know, show a movie in your backyard in the, in the middle of the day. But sure. the reason I love this thing is I, we have a projector. It's probably an Epson because most projectors are made by Epson, at least the ones that consumers buy. And it's fine, but it's also like as big as it's like is wide and it's the same footprint as my MacBook Pro, only it's 10 pounds, right? So it's 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 not a thing right. that's super convenient. This, you could just take with you. It's got a handle, right? You could just take it with you anywhere and project 4K. Um, 
so I think it's really cool and it just looks good, right? This is a thing that you would want to use if you were traveling or, and you wanted to have a projector. Do most people need a projector? I, I don't know, but I mean, it's, I, I think that anytime we, it's fun. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's sort of playing into the trend where you're making a device that in for a long time was essentially just a utility, but you're actually making it look good. And that's a thing that, let's be honest, yeah. projector companies have not done for a very long time. <laughs> True. So to me, it's as much a piece of art as it is a tool that you, you know, a, a, a thing you could use to to watch movies or to watch TV or to, I could just totally imagine like you could have people over and you have this thing sitting there, you're watching the, the Super Bowl or whatever it might be. Obviously, if you've got a really nice TV, we'll talk about the TVs in a minute. But I, I think that this is like the right combination of it does a good thing, but it also isn't ugly which is a which is yeah, yeah surprisingly not that high of a bar for a lot of technology that's made today yeah no that's good there's also a jimmy 4k projector i think it was the halo max that was announced at ces and that one looks really impressive too 4k like double light source all this kind of stuff it's bigger than this it's not as compact uh but 4k projectors i like watching movies outside sometimes at yep. night and i have a cheap you know projector just to bring out there but yeah, 4K, and they're all 1080p. So a 4K projector would be pretty sweet. I agree. So that was my first one. The second one that I'm going to mention is the the Withings BMO, which I don't know if you're familiar with Withings, but they make a lot of like smart health technology. So like we have a Withings scale. Um, we have two Withings uh, thermometers, especially during COVID. This was like the thing you had to have was, was, a, was a thermometer, right? Uh, so that you could tell if you can send your kids to school or if you're allowed to leave the house or that kind of thing. And it was, you know, they're super easy. You just push the button. This is that only they've added a couple of additional features to it. So in addition to being a thermometer, it is also a blood oxygen sensor and it does an ECG. I don't know what the difference between an EKG and an ECG is, but it's a medical grade ECG. I'm not sure. And yeah. And you might wonder like, well, why do I need those things at home? Now, I mean, the Apple watch does all these things actually. So I'm wearing the same thing all the time, but what's cool about this is it does sync with Apple health, the health app on, on your iPhone. And if you were to do like a telehealth appointment for, oh, and it has a digital stethoscope. I, I should mention that It'll, it has a digital oh. stethoscope. So what's cool about this is let's say you have a telehealth appointment and you, you need to have you like these vitals or whatever. You can use this device to do that. Um, probably the average person shouldn't go around taking ECGs of themselves all the time because you have no idea what any of it means. Same thing with your blood oxygen, that kind of thing. Your temperature, most of us know, like if it's above a hundred, it's bad, <laughs> right? Like that's easy, yeah. but it is a cool, I think it's a cool device in one of the reasons this is a practical thing for people, because I think that the one of the things that happened during COVID that I think is here to stay is that the way that we go to the doctor has changed. Right. I remember for a long time, it was like, you can't come into this doctor's office unless actually there weren't really any reasons why they'd let you, in. you, you, and so you'd, everything was on like telehealth, right? It's like, unless we actually have to look in yes, your throat, yes. you can't come in. Right. And so right. I think that for a lot of people, that's a shift that's probably going to continue and having devices like this, that'll do some of that, because obviously on a telehealth appointment, there's only so much that they really only can talk to you and, and look at you. They don't have a, the ability to get these vitals. And I can remember that during COVID, I actually at one point did the ECG on, on my watch and it said something like AFib. Now it turned out it wasn't, but I freaked out and made a telehealth appointment and I was able to just sure. send that ECG to my doctor. They were able to look at it and they were like, do another one now. And anyway, so I think this is the type of a device okay. that I think, and it's accessible. It's very easy to use. 
and I think it's it's the kind of thing that people that's cool. people will like. So there you go. I do, I do think you know with with the next Apple Watches. I've said this multiple times, but when the Apple Watch gets glucose monitoring and we get like some more key health statistics that are more trackable just with something on your wrist or a device like this that's just sitting in your home, I think health is like the next really big innovation moment. Yep. And even just like if you've never done it, if you get like labs, you get like blood work done at a doctor, many of those uh, like places where you can like create an account and access your records online, you can bring them into the health app. And I actually find the health app gives you some pretty useful data as far as it'll tell you, like, here's the normal range for vitamin D. And this is where you landed in that range. And a lot of times the the other lab companies will do this too. And I don't know how much of this I need to say. Like, I'm not a doctor. Don't take medical, <laughs> medical advice from us. I don't know what disclaimers I need to say. But just bringing your labs into the health app, I think, gives you some interesting information. And it definitely looks nicer than any of those other lab websites and all those services. Much easier to read. So. Uh, you should do it if you haven't done it yet. Yep. You should try it. Man, we, this has been a good show. Well, I'm going to have to go fast here for Insane CES because we have some big follow-up and I want to talk about the Rabbit R1. Uh, LG made a transparent uh, TV for CES. Why, I don't know. And then also, uh, there was a huge TV. Let me pull it up here. This was, I think, a little more interesting. This was a 137-inch TV that folds like literally just collapses together. You can see it in this video down here. It's like just folding out, which is cool, I guess. It's also $200,000 <laughs> and you get an outdoor version for $240,000. Like I'm sure it looks great. No human is going to buy this. Well, any, sorry, no normal human is going to buy this. But, you know, cool to see the tech folding TVs, I guess. But I don't know. I know also some crazy stuff in cars. Tell me, Jason, what, what did you like of it? about the insane tech at CES. So the transparent TV is cool. They did, LG showed that off before, but it was just like a concept this year. They're basically saying, we're going to sell this thing. I don't think they disclosed prices and the, from people who were there that I trust, it was a really cool thing, but it wasn't actually that great of an OLED TV. So it's kind of like, if you want it for the novelty, that's good, but it's not necessarily the thing you want to sit around and watch movies on. So that's great. If you want to show a fish tank screensaver, that's basically what it's for. If you want it to look like a fish tank, but not actually have fish. Right. Which I don't know who needs that, but if that's you, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. A villain. A Bond villain. A Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's who wants it. So the, the the two things that are like staples of CES are cars at this point and TVs. You talked about the TVs. Yeah. Apparently now Volkswagen is saying that you'll be able to talk to ChatGPT in your car starting later this year. I don't know why anyone needs this. Uh-huh. This seems kind of strange to me because I have enough problems with Google Maps and Apple Maps sometimes not understanding what it is I'm trying to do. I don't really want to ask ChatGPT, tell me how to get directions to this thing and ChatGPT just makes something up. Like, come on, like driving a car feels like one of those things where we need a slightly more reliable interface than an AI chat assistant that will just lie to you. So I don't, but I do think it's interesting. I I don't know, Volkswagen is a big car company and they tend to make pretty reliable vehicles. So I don't really know what's happening here, except that everyone needs to find a way to incorporate AI and chat GPT into their product. And so maybe this is Volkswagen's right. thing, but it does seem like someone should have worked at this a little bit longer and thought like, is this really a thing that people need and will it make them buy our car? So I don't know. No, this is not a selling feature. No. Don't do don't do this. No, I agree. Don't do this. And tell me one more time, because I saw this a couple places. The Samsung Bali robot? What is this? In 2020, when I was at CES, Samsung 
debuted a version of this on stage with the CEO walking around and it would just follow you around, right? And so this is an updated version of it. And now in addition to just following you around and taking pictures or taking video or alerting you because the dog got out or whatever it might do, it now has a projector in it. And so I don't know if that's like you can ask it that video you took of the birthday party, would you please play it, play it back? Um, it was interesting that mm. it would just follow you around. Like, and it seemed, it was like a little puppy, robot puppy type thing, but it was ball shaped. This is a really weird, you know, it's a really weird piece of technology that probably no one needs, but it is really interesting. The, the, like the killer demo that they did back in 2020 was that it would, that it would, if it saw that your dog had knocked over a box of cereal, it would tell the Roomba, to go and clean it up. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I'll give it. It that. is cool, but like one, that's there's a whole lot of things that have to work right for that to be yes. like a successful beyond a demo. And two, like it's a box of cereal. The dog is just going to eat it. It's fine. Like I have a dog. I don't need a Roomba. I don't need the Roomba to clean up the cereal. The dog knocked it's over. It's like an auto feeder. Yes. The reason the dog knocked over the food is because it's going to eat it. Like it's fine. I don't have a, this is not a problem I need to solve with a several thousand dollar robot that follows me around. That's hilarious. And tell me one last thing for the insane CES, the Lenovo ThinkBook. We at least to talk about one Windows computer on this show. What What is this? Yeah. So this is the Lenovo ThinkBook Plus Gen 5 hybrid because you know every pc maker is really good at naming things but what's interesting about this is it is a windows pc with a tablet display that when you pull the tablet out it's a full-fledged android tablet and then when you dock it it docks into basically a windows pc so there are basically two computing devices here in one so it's like the tablet sits into the base which is a windows pc and when you pull it out it's just an android tablet I'll be honest, I don't particularly like Windows PCs or Android tablets. I would much rather use a Windows PC <laughs> than an Android tablet. I will just say that. I, there's, yeah. there's a lot of Windows PCs that are fine. They're super, they're great. I, my, it's just not a personal preference. I don't know why anyone would want to combine a Windows PC and an Android tablet into one device, except for that when you rip the, rip the screen off, which from some of the reviews, like you literally just have to rip the screen off. It's not like a, it's just like friction held in there or whatever, but then you now right. have a really bad tablet. Like <laughs> you now, have I feel like windows, the surface, the surface like solves this problem, right? It's not, you can't it, the surface is not as powerful, yeah. but it is honestly the best combination of a windows PC and a tablet that you're going to get because it's a windows tablet, not a, Android tablet. In my opinion on Android tablets, we've talked about before, they're just not good. Right. Well, and that was my thing is Android is not great on a tablet. Windows probably has better apps, more apps. Like, yeah, that's that's strange. So insane tech. Well, of all the insane tech, I think one of the biggest newsmakers and that sold out its 10,000 units right at the launch is this new company and new device called the Rabbit. This is the Rabbit R1. And this is a small, square, rounded corner device that is powered by AI. Not, they're not calling it a large language model. This is powered by a large action model. And this device is supposedly, uh, you know, they say like all these devices, like the AI pin, it's not going to replace your phone yet, <laughs> wink, wink, but it's going to do a ton of things. And the idea is like, no one likes to use apps anymore. So just tell this device to order you a pizza and it will communicate with the apps for you. 
and then do the things. And it will tell you the pizza is coming. Or it will tell you that your car has been booked for Uber. And that it would supposedly be like the most supercharged assistant because it can actually do things, not just talk to you. This was very exciting, apparently. And <laughs> I have a theory about why these kinds of devices are like so exciting right now, like the AI pin. But it's interesting. One thing, I looked at The Verge's article, and I'll put links to both their keynote and The Verge article in the show notes. But there's this screen in The Verge article where it basically shows you having to connect all these different services to the Rabbit R1 device, including things like your music service, Uber, DoorDash, Amazon, eBay, Best Buy. Like You have to connect all these services to the R1's, I guess, cloud. This way it can actually do these things for you. And like, yeah, I guess it would be cool if you could just tell a thing to order more toilet paper <laughs> and it does all the stuff in the background and then toilet paper shows up. But, you know, it, it really feels like this is just, you know, if there were a bunch of shortcuts actions or if Siri could like just do more like voice assist, like this is what a, it's a voice assistant, but just like way more powerful. No one's going to give up their phone, I don't think. And my theory is phone innovation has slowed down enough where people are just kind of now excited by things that look different. And the fact that this is like the engineering was done by a teenage engineering, which is, you know, really popular. Like they make really cool hardware. So like, you know, shout out uh, for all that. But, you know, it's again, interesting. I don't think people like for me, if I'm going to be ordering from DoorDash, I want to actually like see with my eyeballs the DoorDash app and see the confirmation screen. And like, I trust that. I feel like putting another layer on top just for the quote unquote ease of it, maybe. I don't know. What, what do you think about this? This came out. I don't know why it exists. <laughs> sure. That's my first thing. Except I will say that it seems like it has slightly more reason for existing than the humane AI pin, in my opinion. Because it has a screen. It has a screen. It's got a screen. <laughs> and. Because it's closer to a phone than a pin. Also, yeah, you don't have to wear it on your chest. Also, it's, right. it's sort of built as an accessory to your phone, right? Like it's not built as a thing you would use and never right. have to pick up a phone again, if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly. Right. But I'm still not really sure why it exists. And I think, it, I don't know if you read Ben Thompson's Stratechery, his assessment of this is it will, it, it will surely fail. <laughs> this device will almost certainly <laughs> fail. And his argument is because of the business model. It's like a $200 device with no subscription fee. And even though all the computing happens in the cloud, it's like, how, how are they going to make money? How is this thing going to like, maybe they're just trying to get bought. That's a real thing that startups do. It certainly got a lot of press. And sure. so that's really good. I just don't fully understand who thinks that they need this particular device. Like, Again, the perfect accessory to your phone feels to me like a watch. It's a thing you wear in a place that is yeah. normal to wear things, not on your chest, not like whatever. I don't, right. if, if Apple builds its, you know, the rumored lar large language model and makes Siri actually better, I feel like the Apple Watch then becomes like the killer accessory to kill all of these things. Not just killer accessory and like, it's great. Yeah. It's like going to kill all these things. So I, I think it's really interesting. I'm glad there's companies that are making this sort of thing that are sort of pushing the envelope. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. And, and I think the interest is like we talked about in last week's episode where someone asked ChatGPT like a two minute long question about exchange 
current currency exchange and why it's different for different countries. It's exciting when you can just kind of ramble or you're not quite sure how to phrase something and a piece of technology can understand you enough to do the thing you actually intended, even if you didn't say it clearly. And I think that's the rub when you try to use Siri or even Amazon's assistants and Google's, which are maybe better than Siri at parsing some of that imperfect commands. You do kind of have to know the magic words to say to get it to do, to do exactly what you want it to do. Even like Apple Music on HomePods, trying to play the exact album or artist you want. Like yeah. my kids will say like, hey, can we play a thing? We're driving in the car. And so I'll hold up my watch and I'll say, play this song by this artist. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. You have to ask it like this in order for it to know the exact song or artist. And it's like, right. That's the pain point for things like Siri and these other voice assistants where you have to know the incantation in order to get the right thing. And I think that's what these devices, why they're attractive to people is because it eliminates that need to know the exact words to say in the moment. But if Apple with their digital voice assistant can get that large language model parsing and be able to understand imperfect commands, then I think it will eliminate the need for a lot of these other devices. Well, and you may have changed my mind because rambling, you talked about rambling, is my specialty. And so if I can just talk to an invite, a device the way I normally talk to you or to anyone else, and it will understand me, that might be better because you're right. None of the assistants are particularly good at that. I, I would probably argue Google is actually maybe the best at doing that most of the time. But you're right. Like we think of prompt engineering when it comes to chat GPT, but the really the real killer specialty is prompt engineering just to get Siri to play the music that you actually want to listen to. But I think, I think if right. Apple adds a little bit more intelligence to its in, you know, artificial intelligence, then, then it could become like the, the default way that most people want to interact with their devices. So I also think it's interesting on the heels of this rabbit R one that humane has announced it's laying off 4% of their employees before the AI pin has even launched. This is probably as a result of whatever pre-orders have been happening. Maybe mine is the only pre-order. Who knows? <laughs> I might be the only one who got one. And so I think it's uh, telling that even before this device launches, Humane is having to have some serious layoffs. And then I also feel like the, the GPT store launched earlier this week where you can like get custom GPTs. And I, and I perused it for a moment and I saw this one GPT called Humanize AI. And the description was this GPT can make AI generated text sound more human. And I had to think to myself for a moment, this is using AI to make AI generated text sound more human. Now I'm not a philosopher, but that sounds a little bit like circular reasoning, <laughs> reasoning and I don't think it's going to do that good of a job at it. There's some inception happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously AI is still going to be everywhere for the next year, but I do think like the humane AI. And I think once this rabbit R1 gets in people's hands and the excitement dies down, I, I don't think these are the use cases for AI that is really going to last. You know, ChatGPT is still great. I mean, I still use it every day for certain contexts, but I think a separate hardware device, I'm not sure yet. Remains so the, the, uh, the one counterpoint is this. So the I agree with you that eventually the way we use generative AI, large language models, whatever it may be, is going to be through the services and devices that we already use from companies like Apple, Google, Amazon, Meta, whatever it might be. Like that's where it's gonna be eventually, but those companies on their own 
are never going to figure out, figure out the perfect use cases because they're just continuing to do the things that print money, which is, that's the way businesses are, right? right. That's why there's space for younger startups, that kind of a thing. So none of the things, I don't think, with the exception of OpenAI and ChatGPT, we'll set that aside for a second, all of the other sort of auxiliary right. things that are happening in the AI space, I don't think any of them will be here in five years. They'll either be bought and become a product or a service of a larger tech company, or those larger tech companies are just gonna do it on their own. But I do think it's good that they're trying, because again, Apple was never gonna be pushed into doing this. I mean, they probably would have gotten to something at some point, but Siri's been bad for a long time. They've been, they have been in no hurry mm -hmm to improve that using large language models, it seems. So I think that that's the benefit of these, but I don't think when you look at, you have to look at them not as a product, whether that consumers might buy, you have to look at them as how much are they poking these other companies to actually get it together. I did not order a rabbit R1. Did, did you get, were you one of the first 10,000 orders? I was not. Are you getting? I was not. <laughs> I was not. I was not either. So uh, let us know if you're excited about the rabbit R1. I want to do Two and a half quick follow-ups, and then we have another quick personal tech item, and we will get to our, our bonus episode on physical media. But do want to follow up on the Hey Calendar app, which we talked about last week. Apple rejected it at first, and then I think DHH did something a little dirty, uh, but then the, cap, the Hey Calendar app is now officially in the App Store, and the saga has ended. But can you remind me again what exactly DHH did with Stephen Hackett's history calendar? It felt a little kind of grimy. Yeah, so the super short version of this is that Apple rejected it because essentially the app itself had no functionality except for a login screen. And Apple, this is what happened with the email app too, was like, well, you have to let people sign up for an account or it has to do something. So they were like, fine, we'll make it do something. What we'll do is we'll add in a bunch of dates of interesting events in Apple's history so that if you open the app and you don't have an account or before you log in, you can just use it to browse through that stuff. The thing is, what they said they did is basically create a quote, digital version of the 2024 Apple history calendar that raised over $40,000 on Kickstarter, which was made by Stephen Hackett. He's the co-founder of Relay FM. Right. You can hear him on a bunch of great podcasts. Now, DHH went on to say that they didn't actually use his research, but he was the one who said it's basically a digital version of this thing that this other person spends months putting together. If you listen to basically any episode of Connected in the fall after this Kickstarter has launched, yeah. you'll hear Steven talking about how much work is involved and like he and his kids are literally like packing right. them into to um packing calendars into envelopes to send them out and take them to the post office and how the people at the post office look like looking right. like he's crazy. And basically DHH and, and 37 signals were like, well, we'll just do that. We'll just do the thing that someone else has already done and we'll just put it in our app because then that will pacify Apple. And the reason yeah. I think that this is worth mentioning is that DHH, especially David Hanemeyer Hansen loves to sort of claim the high ground against Apple, right? to say, we're just this scrappy company and we're just trying to do a thing and take care of our customers right. and all this stuff. And Apple's the big meanie that's trying to just take our money. And yet what he basically did is just completely ape something that someone else had worked very hard on. And I feel like once you do that, like, man, if you had any high ground before, you just gave it all up because right. you're, you, what you, I think that most people would objectively look at it and be like, the thing you just did is far worse than Apple rejecting your app because yeah. it only has a login screen. Right, because you could always resubmit that app. Like, you're already making us think about it. But one other quick one. So we talked about Apple stores last week in our personal tech section, kind of our favorite Apple stores. And I totally forgot to mention this application, which is called Facades. It's a free app. You can get it for Mac, iPhone, and iPad. But it basically has a full directory of the Apple stores 
I don't know if it's international or at least here in the US, but you can basically go in and see pictures, see information about all the Apple stores. And it's really fun just to browse or if you'd like to learn about like your particular uh, Apple store, like what model it is or what layout or when it launched. And it is international. You can look at all the different uh, Apple stores around the world, which is really cool. And talks about not only their hours, websites, like which is then makes it easier to like make an appointment there or whatever, but uh, the Facades app, really cool. Definitely should check it out. And speaking of which, I have another surprise for you, Jason. Oh my goodness. We talked about last week about Apple stores and you showed off some of your, your merch. Well, guess what, Jason? Look what I got. Oh. Look what I got right here. This is. That looks like an Apple store employee shirt. <laughs> you are. Good eye, sir. <laughs> good eye. So this is a, uh, a long sleeve uh, shirt. And then I got, I got two long sleeve shirts and a jacket. And uh, this is from a good friend, a listener, and viewer, Nate Gorby. Uh, he messaged me on social media, and he was like, hey, I got something I want to send you. Oh. And so he didn't say what it was. It just showed up. And I have now, I now have two uh, pieces of Apple merch and a, and a jacket. Well, three pieces, two shirts and a jacket. It's very cool. I'm scared to wear them ever. Like, I don't know if I, I can't, probably can't wear this in a video and talk about the iPhone, because then Apple's going to be like, uh, excuse me. Where'd you get the shirt? Impersonating a genius or some Ooh, kind of Apple Store yeah. employee. I, I am just glad to hear someone yeah. send it to you as opposed to the story was going to be you just went behind the building and started looking through the dumpster for old. Because I don't think that this is what they wear now. I think that the uniforms have changed. So I think those are right. so those have been That's retired, true. but I'm just like, where oh, where did he get these from? So I, no, I, no, someone sent them to me. I did not uh, mug an Apple Store employee. But this, this, these are my first pieces of merch with the like official Apple logo on them. And uh, I guess they're not really merch. They're Apple Store employee gear. But I'll say it's my first Apple merch. And that, so thank you, that Nate. That is amazing. That is very fun. Yes, I'm, I was very, very happy to see that. Quick piece of personal tech. Now, Zach, yeah, 9to5Mac, he uh, posted on threads talking about the macOS dock. And so this is now where we get into where do we place our dock do we hide? And what about magnification? And somehow, Zach both got Gr John Gruber to quote tweet him and say, and John Gruber said, this is the way. So this is how John Gruber uses his doc as well, right side. And that's also Phil Schiller. Zach got Phil Schiller to reply to his post on threads, which just is ridiculous i mean come on to be fair apparently probably john gruber yeah. got phil schiller to reply i'm not no shade fair. to zach yeah yeah, yeah no yeah. shade to zach no well shade. done that's why i put this in there because i'm like i mean that's yep. phil schiller probably helped that john gruber responded probably helped but phil schiller says i heart emoji the right doc and have since the start of mac os 10 but i respect all left and bottom doc users for their choices as well jason where do you put your mac doc i have always had my mac doc at the bottom yeah i just always have and i have tried many times to move it to the left move it to the right and it lasts i don't know 13 or 14 minutes and then i'm like i can't i can't do this anymore i have to move it back i can't i don't know where anything is the icons are no longer the same size sure. because obviously the bottom is a lot longer than the top than the sides are. And I, I don't know, I don't right. know why, but forever I've always, and probably this is blasphemy to Apple purists, but I mostly started, well, I didn't own a Mac. We talked about this many, many years ago, but I didn't own a Mac personally until OS 10 came out. I had used Macs on classic Mac, but I owned one on Mac 
OS 10. And I've always had like three folders, well, three icons in the upper right corner of my Mac. I've always had Macintosh hard drive, Dropbox, and then another folder that are always just sitting right there. So putting the dock over them makes no sense. I understand that probably most Mac peers would never put anything there anyway, but I don't know. That's just where they were when I first had a Mac. And so I've always left them there. So I've always been bottom and I, I do use auto hide because what do I need? What do I need to look at the dock yeah. all day long? I don't, I don't, I just move right, down there and right. there's the stuff. I, so I was actually a side dock user. I think it was actually the left side for a while. Maybe I tried the right with auto hide. There were some people in those replies that were like, yes, on the side, auto hide max magnification or like close to max. I'm like, if you <laughs> I don't know what you're doing with max magnification, but now I'll give you my reason. I'm also a bottom dock person. I also auto hide. A, I use Spotlight to open so many yep. apps anyway. Like I, I don't really go to the dock a ton. I do it sometimes. Uh, I've been doing it more for Safari profiles because I'll right click the Safari app icon and then go to a profile. But I have an, a secondary display, not for like constant work, but it's connected to my video switcher. So if I ever want to like put something over there and video switch to the secondary display, I can do that. So that's the left of my primary display is the secondary display. And then to the right is universal control. And I use universal control for exactly one purpose <laughs> every day, which is to drag an audio file from my Mac over to Ferrite on the iPad so it imports and it copies over. And I find it faster and more reliable than AirDrop. It's better than like navigating the files app on the iPad. All I, I just want universal control to be able to drag over. And sometimes, when I'm doing the chapters, which there's chapters in every episode of this podcast, if you want to look at chapters, I do artwork for every chapter. And sometimes I'll just drag an image from my Mac over into Ferrite on the iPad. I can drop it in the chapter image box and it's just there. And so just that dragging of audio files and image files, I love doing that. And I don't like the dock popping up if I'm doing universal control on the right or if I'm trying to go over to my secondary display on the left. And so for that reason, it's dock on bottom, auto hide, no magnification. Do you magnify? Do you use magnification? Um, I think I have like a very small amount of magnification on and it's just because I'm mostly blind and I have a lot of things in the dock. And so it's nice to have just like a little bit of separation. I don't use the dots though. That is to me, you know, heresy to have the little dots on. I do not need dots to tell me what's open. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You could turn off the little dots? You're kidding, right? You, why would you have those dots on Jason? So there's a, if you go to settings, desktop and dock, there's a show indicators for open applications that should be off. <laughs> I think every Mac user can agree oh with me goodness. on that. I just toggled it. Oh my goodness. Years, Jason <laughs> years. How could you look at your screen? OS. I don't even know how you could. Oh, uh, see, I toggle off suggested in recent apps yes like whenever correct. that setting came up correct. i didn't want it i never wanted that. correct i don't want to see any recent suggestions in the dock never uh but i didn't know you could turn off now honestly and i can see why that would be hard because it's literally the toggle immediately above the show suggested in recent it's really hard to find <laughs> listen but listen sometimes i mean now i know i can do command tab and I can see all the apps that are currently open. And if you didn't know, Mac users out there, when you're command tabbing, hold the command button. If you're tabbing over to an application, you can actually do command Q when an app is highlighted in that app switcher for command tab. And it will quit that app without even like having to go to the window or anything. 
So you can quit like all your apps very quickly just using command tab, Q, 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 like hold the command button, Q, 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 Q. It'll quit all those apps. So you can do that quickly. I'm gonna have to see how I feel about the dots below the, uh, the app. I'm really glad though you didn't try to demo that. <laughs> Because all of a sudden, yeah, I was close. All of a sudden, Chrome just <laughs> quit close. everything. I could see you moving <laughs> your hand. I'm like, don't do it, Stephen. Just don't yeah, try. Don't quit it. Don't quit it. Don't quit it. No, you do not need the dots. dots. You really don't. Well, let me ask you: Why do okay. you care what's open? Why is that important to you? They launch so fast. Because when I podcast, I don't want Final Cut, and I don't want like any like processor-intensive apps open. That's why I care. So Give here's a reason. okay. So just here's well, like not that I'm going to give Stephen pro tips here, but. No, so for the things like that, that I would not want open in a situation like that, they don't go in my dock. So that way, if I don't see them in the dock, I know they're not open. Oh, I see. So like Final Cut okay. is in my dock right okay. now because it's open. If it's not in my dock, I'm podcasting with Final Cut open. I'm sorry. Jason, you have Final Cut open while we're recording a video <laughs> podcast. It's not doing anything. It's just sitting there. Let's see. I'm going to find out how much, how much, how much is like, what percentage it's of my CPU is CP is Final Cut using right now? It's probably uh, fair enough. It's probably not much. And like, I've, I've actually it's accidentally not even in the top hundred things. So I've accidentally left it open and I will say Mac OS and final cut is very good at not like zapping your system. No. And so it's using 1.2% CPU right now. It's basically snoring. <laughs> it's just sleeping. I don't want to make it feel bad, but you did freeze twice while we've been recording and we just played it off. That's not my, uh, that's not my CPU. I have an M3 Pro Max MacBook Pro with okay, 64 okay. gigs of memory and two terabytes of hard drive. It is not the laptop. Yeah. It is my internet connection. And it's because right now it looks like Narnia outside because we're getting a snowstorm. And I have to have, a, I had to run the heat ahead of time into my office, which is 30 yards away from my house. Which is a shed. It's, it's, it's a, a converted shed. shed. It's nice. It's a very nice shed, but yes. So it's a nice that shed. is the very freezing nice. that you experienced. I've actually been considering doing one of those office sheds in the backyard and, and your internet is now making me question that decision, but well, well you would run ethernet to it. I You'd would run, run ethernet. 10 gig ethernet all the way out to it. I mean, let's not, let's not, I have a solution coming. <laughs> I, would, I have a solution uh, coming. Okay. 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 Very, very good. All right. Well, that's, well, that's a lot of fun. So let us know where you put your doc. And of course, don't forget you can support the show either on primarytech.fm, click bonus episodes. You can support the show, get an ad-free version every week. Plus you get bonus episodes every week, which we're about to talk about physical media, like, you know, like DVDs and stuff and streaming. And I think it's going to be interesting because I have some thoughts. Uh, but you can support the show there or you can support us directly in Apple Podcast, $5 a month. You also get ad-free and the bonus episodes there all in the same feed. And it would really help to uh, counter that one-star review uh, that we have in there. I don't know who that's from. If you gave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast, and you can also rate us in Spotify. And before we go, we actually have another sponsor today. Very glad to talk about Hello There. I had not heard about this app before, but the developer reached out. There's an email in the show notes. If you really do want, if you have something you want to advertise on the show, a post-roll ad is a great way to do it. But Hello There is an awesome app. It actually lets you save greeting cards to the app and it saves them in a nice way. It also, you can have ways to like, you know, do digital greeting cards and things like that. I'll screen share right here. So if you're watching, you could see, but hello there. It's a great, great way to organize greeting cards, which I know for me, you get cards all the time, you know, birthdays, holidays, things like that. And it's tough because you don't want to throw them all away. Some of them might have very, very meaningful things in there, things written from relatives and friends. And this is the answer. This is the answer. You can save all those greeting cards into the app for any occasion. Plus you can use features like live text, shortcuts integration, widgets, 
and iCloud to level up your entire collection. And you can use Hello There Post to share lightweight e-cards. You can send electronic cards from a curated assortment and even send handwritten letters in the mail anywhere in the world. You can also keep track of birthdays, holidays, or special occasions right here in the app. And of course, it lets you sort and organize your cards so you never again feel bad about tossing out a greeting card. I love the idea of this app. I've been using it. It's a great designed app. All the features like shortcuts and live text, two thumbs up. And so there's a promotion here. Primary Tech listeners can use the offer code to receive one free year. You get an entire year free of Hello There Plus, which unlocks things like iCloud Sync, unlimited entries, app customizations, and a lot more. You get an entire year free. This is an awesome promotion. Just use the promo code HelloPrimaryTech in the app. When you're in the app, you go to settings, you go to the subscription, and there's a redeem code at the bottom. And use that code HelloPrimaryTech. I already did it. Got my year free for Hello There Plus. Best way to save your greeting cards. Highly, highly recommend. It's pretty cool. Then you don't have to like have a drawer full of greeting cards that you don't look at. You can just have them on your phone. It's pretty sweet. I love this. I love this app. I just want to say I love this app because it is such a perfect idea that solves a real problem for people. I'd never heard of it before. I'm going to, I won't download it on my crappy internet while we're podcasting because Steven would yell at me, but I'm going to as soon as we're done. And it's iPad and iPhone. It's very cool. So thank you. Hello there. The link will be in the show notes. You can click it there as well. Plus the offer code. If you forget, just look in the show notes for all of that. And of course, thank you for listening to Primary Technology. If you're a supporter, stay tuned for the bonus episode. It'll be right there in the feed as well. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.